being married, probably because I have the most awesome wife in the world, but besides the point, I think marriage is a, a wonderful institution. Of course, the Bible talks about it as that way, you know, being a representative of God's relationship with his people. Oftentimes, he refers to his children, his church, his people as his bride. So, I mean, obviously, the marriage relationship is something that is important, started in the Garden of Eden, illustrated through the Old Testament, and into the new marriage is a wonderful thing. At the same time, I also understand that marriage isn't necessarily for everyone. The Apostle Paul chose to not be married. You know, the further his ministry, um, he was able to do certain things because he wasn't married. You know, being able to travel a lot and be in dangerous situations and, and choosing to not get married is definitely a, a biblical alternative, you know, especially if you want to devote your life to more dedicated service to God. But nevertheless, statistically, <clears throat> most people will one day get married. And statistically, most people will also get divorced. And that's the reality of it. I mean, uh, in our world today, that marriage is something that, that people are still wanting to engage in, but at the same time, marriages often fail. Divorce happens. People go their separate ways. And if you start looking at why divorces happen, there's a lot of different reasons. There's conflicts that arise because of money problems or or there's, you know, conflict in the family, or maybe there's a tragedy that caused anger or something. But a lot of times, the reason that divorce occurs is because one or both parties decided to be unfaithful to that marriage bond. Someone decided to, to go out and be with someone else instead of their spouse, to, to commit adultery, to cheat. And, and statisticians and, uh, you know, psychologists, they research this a lot. They want to ask the question, why do people cheat in a relationship? And if you've ever been through that, you'll probably ask the same question. Why is it that, that people cheat? Why would they go after someone else if they're in a healthy, happy relationship now? Why, why would they be unsatisfied with the relationship that they're in and do something that's going to devastate their family and devastate their, their marriage and, and mess up their life? Why would they choose to do that? Well, I came across an article in Insider Magazine, and they're interviewing a psychotherapist and relationship expert. And here's what she said about why people cheat. She said, why do people cheat? Well, 80% of the time, it is not because of a failing relationship. She said this, she says, infidelity is often a selfish act, and its motivation has everything to do with the person who is cheating. She says, look, all other things aside, here's why people do it. They're selfish. She said, that's it. The reason why people cheat on their spouse is because they are selfish. And if you look at most problems in marriage, they, they come from selfishness. Whether you think of abuse, neglect, adultery, deceit, deception, all of that is usually caused by selfishness. The marriage relationship is to not be that way. Well, what we've been doing on Sunday mornings, we started last week, is we embarked on a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. And looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians is about togetherness. It's about unselfishness. It's about unity. And what we saw last week is that selfishness in the church will destroy a church and it will cause division. So what the Apostle Paul does is he writes this letter to the Corinthians to deal with two main issues. Number one, he wants to stop the selfish division that's going on in that church. Um, Paul heard about what was going on there. He says, hey, there's quarrels in the church. In fact, the church in Corinth had gotten so selfish that they were even arguing about, you know, who baptized who. They were saying, I was baptized by Paul. 
You were baptized by Cephas, therefore I'm better than you. They selfish people. In fact, their selfishness was so bad, we talked about it you know, last Sunday, that some people were even getting to church early, eating up all the communion before other people got there. That's how selfish they were. They were so selfish that they were arguing about what blessing from God is the best and why they're better than another person because they have one gift that another person doesn't have. That's a problem with division and selfishness in the church. So Paul writes this letter to try to end or deal with that problem. But number two, Paul also, in this letter, answers questions that the Corinthians had that were causing division in that church. And so what we're going to do in our sermon series in Corinthians is we're going to deal with those questions. We're going to look at the questions that the Corinthians had and find the answers that Paul gave them and hopefully overcome selfishness, stop division, and be the church that God will want us to be. Well, one of the questions that they had asked Paul had to do with marriage. In fact, every time Paul deals with one of the questions that they had asked him, he uses a phrase in the book. We talked about this last week. He uses the phrase, now concerning. And he does that here in regards to marriage. So as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, I want us to see that selfishness ruins relationships, specifically the marriage relationships. So if you haven't already done so, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll begin with that phrase there in the beginning of chapter 7 where he introduces a new topic by that phrase that we're looking at, now concerning. Here's what he says. Now concerning the things about which you wrote. So they had already previously wrote to Paul and asked him questions about different topics. One of the questions had to do you know, with, with, with sexual relationships and marriage and so on. So in chapter 7 verse 1, he says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, he's not saying you can't walk up and shake a hand or something like that. He's talking about, you know, the physical relationship, that kind of thing. And he says, look, you wrote and asked me a question. Let me lay it out there plainly for you. In the middle of a pagan culture, in the middle of a culture where immorality was rampant, in the middle of a culture where people would engage in ritualistic prostitution and worship to their idol gods, he says, now concerning what you wrote to me, it's not good for you to do that. His point is basically this. He says, you know, the idea is sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. He lays that out there for them in the beginning of this section. But then he goes a little bit deeper in answering their question. He knows that their question wasn't just about, you know, is, you know, immorality a sin. They probably understood that. They needed to be reminded of it. In chapter 6, he has to remind them that their bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which apparently they forgot. But... He goes on and then he says, but because of immoralities, verse 2 of chapter 7, because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. So he says, sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong, but at the same time, you're supposed to have this relationship with your spouse. Verse 3, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, likewise also the wife to her husband. So he says, sexual outside of marriage is wrong, but marriage at the same time is not just for you to have your physical desires met. It's about you and your spouse coming together, meeting each other's needs. Verse 4, he says, a wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over her own body, but the wife does. So the Corinthians were asking him questions about, hey, how can we have a stronger marriage? Paul says, meet each other's physical needs. 
think about your spouse, but at the same time, marriage is not just for you to have your needs met, but it's for you to meet the needs of your spouse. Now, let's think about this more spiritually speaking. If the Corinthians were struggling with selfishness, I imagine that the selfishness that was in that church had drifted into their homes, into their families, into their marriage relationships, where they were being very selfish in every aspect of their life. So Paul has to remind them here when answering this question that you need to think about your spouse. Now, he deals with the sexual relationship here, but across the board, that idea needs to be talked about, right? That in marriage, it's not just for you to have your needs met. It's for you to meet the needs of your spouse. All those needs, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual, we got to meet those needs. And if you don't do that, you're going to be selfish, and selfishness ruins relationships. But he goes on in talking about this in this section. He, he lays out, he says, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, there's a deeper purpose to all of this. I need you to be close. I need you to be together. If not, Satan is going to tempt you. So again, don't be selfish. Think about your spouse. That's the idea of this section because in a healthy marriage, we are to think about our own spouse's desire, our spouse's desires and not just our own. Great pattern for marriage. But here's the reality. The reality is, in marriages, a lot of times, and I've seen it in many relationships that I've observed, I've seen it in, in family members and so on, that in many marriages, there isn't unselfishness. One or both individuals in that relationship are self-absorbed. And what happens when you do that, when you have selfishness in marriage, it is a recipe for disaster. If selfishness causes division and destroys churches, imagine what it does to a marriage. Selfishness will cause divorce. And that's why I believe he goes right into this next section here in verse 10 where he talks about divorce. Let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says, But to the married I give instruction, not I but the Lord, that a wife should not leave her husband. The idea says, look, you're supposed to stay together. Because even Jesus talked about this. The Lord even said this, that a wife should not leave her husband. It goes vice versa too. A husband should not leave his wife. See, when you're selfish, you're thinking, well, my wife's not making me happy anymore, so I'm going to find a new wife. My husband's not that great of a husband anymore, so I'm going to find a new husband. I don't like them anymore. They don't look as good as they once did. They're getting older. They're getting fatter. I just I want someone else. Right? That's what it's talking about. He says, you shouldn't leave your spouse. He says, but to the married, I give instructions. Not I, but the Lord even said it. Right? He says, the wife should not leave her husband. See, he continues this discussion. I think it's all rooted in the idea of not being selfish. After talking about meeting one another's needs in the marriage, he says, what about when you think your needs maybe aren't being met? He goes, look, unselfishly try to make your marriage work, is what he says. Don't just leave. So often, our, our natural reaction is when, when, when things aren't the way we want them to be, is to leave. We just get, we go. People abandon. And I, I've talked to people before that are dealing with this. I've talked to those that have been unfaithful to their spouse, those that have been caught up in sins of pornography and all that. A lot of times, the excuses are here, I hear are not anything biblical. It's not, well, I, I'm abused, or I'm not, I'm afraid, or they're cheating. I mean, it's none of that kind of stuff. It's not something really serious. It's, well, I just wasn't that happy anymore. Or, you know, things changed. We grew apart. That's usually what I hear. But Paul says, no, don't just leave. 
work to make that marriage happen. So I think another point we get from this text is unselfishly try to make your marriage work. But then he goes on, verse 11. He says, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. All different implications of marriage, divorce, remarriage, discussion aside, I think the reason he throws this in right here is that oftentimes what people do is they look for excuses to find someone else. They look for a reason to find, well, the marriage fell apart, I'm just going to go find someone else. Instead of working to maybe toward reconciliation, they work toward a different relationship. And Paul says, look, don't selfishly seek out a new partner. Well, well, you know what, I decided to leave them, I'm going to find someone else. Then I'll be happy. You know how the statistics are about how many second marriages end in divorce? It's worse than first marriages. See, he says, don't seek out a new partner. He says, remain unmarried. You're not supposed to do that. Don't just go willy-nilly from partner to partner. Instead, try to make your marriage work. And then he goes on. He says, but to the rest I say not the Lord. And Paul's not offering opinion here. He's saying, I'm going to deal with the subject that Jesus didn't deal with. He says, but to the rest I say not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Again, you might be thinking, well, you know what? My spouse isn't a Christian, so I'm just going to leave them. No. You're thinking about yourself now again. He says, don't do that. He says, if, you're, if they consent to live with you, live in an unselfish way there, stay together. Try to make the marriage work. He goes on, verse 13, and if a woman has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Think about it in the first century especially. You had people being converted to Jesus out of pagan backgrounds in the midst of persecution. And you would have maybe a wife who's a Christian and a husband who's not. And now that the wife is a Christian, there's a lot of you know, pressure put upon that family. There's fear of persecution and all of that. And he says, look, Try to stay together there because that marriage is still sanctified by God. It's not a bad marriage. It's not a, you know, a marriage that God doesn't recognize as marriage or a fake marriage. No. He goes, your children can have a mom and a dad. It's a good thing. He goes, so the idea is stay together. But what if your spouse chooses to leave? Because you know what? Sometimes people are selfish. Sometimes when marriage is hard, people just want to leave. Especially think about it in the first century. Your family's being persecuted because your husband is a Christian. Or your family is being persecuted because your wife is a Christian. And you might say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm going to find someone else. I didn't sign on for this. Verse 15, he says, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. The idea is, look, you're not enslaved to a selfish spouse. You can let them go. If they want to take off because they're like, look, I'm done with this whole Jesus thing, this Christianity thing is causing a lot of turmoil in our life, I'm out of here. Paul says, you can let them leave, but you stay faithful to God, right? That's the idea. It's like, no, you're not their slave. They might selfishly think you are and act like that. No, you have to stay with me and do whatever I say. No, Jesus comes first. Spouse comes second. If the spouse is making you choose over Jesus, let them get out of there. You just keep following God, is what he says. The idea is you are not enslaved to a selfish spouse. You can let them leave if they choose to leave. You don't have to follow them toward condemnation. Verse 16, for how do you know, O wife, 
whether you are saved your husband, or how do you know, O oh husband, whether you are saved your wife. Ultimately, we don't know how it's all going to work out. In the end, we should work toward unity in marriage. We, could, we should always be unselfish in our marriage. We should always try to stay together. And when you think about the problems in Corinth, this makes a lot of sense. If unity was the answer to the church in Corinth, unity is also the answer in marriage. Marriage is a union. Marriage equals a bond. Marriage is supposed to be a connection. Marriage requires unity. If selfishness causes division and destroys churches, selfishness will also cause divorce and destroy relationships. We need to go against, avoid, stop all selfishness in all of our relationships, whether in the church or at home. So let's get practical then this morning. If from what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 7 is that selfishness will mess up that marriage relationship, how do we fix it? What are some ways that we can be unselfish in our relationship? Well, I want to share with you a list that I came across, and it's no particular order. But number one, learn to have a proper mindset. Develop a proper mindset. The idea is go into the relationship with the understanding that it's not all about you. It's about the other person. It's not about what you want. It's not about what, what you think you need. It's about how can you help someone else follow Jesus Christ. And with that, number two, learn to compromise. If you're the only one in the relationship that always gets their way, you don't have a good relationship. If it's always your way, my way, it's the relationship. If it's always, well, mom always gets her way or dad always forces his way. No, that's not a healthy relationship. In a healthy relationship, you compromise. You, you give in to the needs or requests or desires of the other person because it's not all about you. Well, I'm in charge. No. In a marriage, you're not. There's equality there, compromise and unity in marriage. Number three, put yourself in your spouse's shoes. You know, we did a seminar here uh, about a year ago called His Shoes, Her Shoes, right? About marriage, talking about husbands need to see, you know, the world through their wives' shoes, you know, walk a mile in their shoes idea. And our, and our wives need to think about how it is to be a husband. Look at it through that perspective. You know, sometimes I have to be reminded of, and Zinni does a good job reminding me of this sometimes too, when I'm acting selfish. I'll be doing something, she goes, you know, I've been stuck at home for the last five days with the kids, and when you're going out to eat with Nick for tacos on Tuesday, we've been eating mac and cheese. And we go, you know, that does stink. You're right. So maybe we'll go out to lunch, right? That kind of idea. See the world through your spouse's Shoes, right? Think about it that way. Put yourself in their shoes. Think what it's like to be them. Wives, think what it's like to be the husband. Husbands, think what it's like to be the wife. Number four, learn to appreciate your spouse's interests. If they find something interesting, look into that. Try to pursue it too. Find that interesting. Because if not, what happens is you begin to develop your own lives apart from one another. And when you start living separate lives apart from one another, problems happen. Learn to appreciate your spouse's interests. Number five, learn to forgive. We're all going to be wronged at times, but even by the people we love the most. But learn to forgive them. Learn to say, I forgive you and move on. If you hold grudges, if you bring it back up later, it's going to fail. Number six, be genuine. Don't be fake. Be the real you. Be genuinely caring, genuinely nice, genuinely like Jesus, and you'll have a good relationship. Number seven, 
Don't broadcast what you have done for him or her. And by the way, that's a typo right there on number nine. We'll get to that in a second. But don't broadcast what you've done for him or her. See, so often in an unhealthy relationship, you bring up the one or two good things you've done. Well, yeah, well, back then I did this for you. Well, remember when I did that? Well, remember when I gave in here? When you broadcast the things that you've done for your spouse, you're not thinking about them. You're just looking for a pat on the back. Number eight, appreciate his or her selfless gestures. When your spouse does something for you that's completely selfless, say thank you. Appreciate it. Say I love you, right? Number nine, go the extra mile. Go above and beyond to help your spouse. Don't feel like you're put out. I do, I do so much for you. Can you do more? And then finally, number 10, be a good listener. Learn to listen to what your spouse is saying and have that healthy communication so that you will not have selfishness in your marriage relationship. Selfishness causes divorce and destroys relationships. Selfishness was destroying the church in Corinth. But the answer is unity. Unity in the church, unity at home. And we can do that by following what we're seeing here in this teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now for the next several weeks, we're going to look at more of these questions that Paul deals with. Um, and every time we're going to look at those phrases where he uses the phrase, now concerning. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 1, he's going to begin with this phrase, now concerning meat sacrifice to idols. We'll talk about that, you know, next week. But as we look at this book, understand that although maybe the specific instances that they're going through aren't ours, maybe we're not going through intense persecution like they were back then, but our marriage is still a problem. Maybe we weren't dealing with fear of the Roman government storming in our doors, but you know what? We do have fear about divorce. And you know the struggle with selfishness and self-absorption in a marriage? That still happens even today. But the answer is selfless unity. The lesson is yours this morning. In just a moment, um, Brother Greg Knight's going to lead us in our invitation song, and one of the other elders will be up here to meet you if you have a need. It is our custom to leave these front pews open. If you need the prayers of the church, if you want to become a Christian today, if you want to be united with Jesus Christ, we can help you do that this morning as together we stand and as we sing.